Let's go ahead and open up to Matthew 28. I know it's kind of unusual for us to be bouncing around a little bit um, and not be working through the same text, but um, I wanted to do that as we are taking the series and kind of looking at what our purpose is. Um, If you remember from week one, or if you haven't been around, we have revisited who we are and kind of refocused who we are. And with that, our refocused, repurposed, reworded mission statement is this that we exist to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. And that's the purpose of why we're here. All of the things that we can do should be revolving around that mission. And over the last two weeks, we have taken an in-depth look at um, the first two aspects of that, which are the gospel and community. Um, Now, if you're reading that mission statement, I think, did I have a slide with that up there, Paul? The computer's been wigging out this morning, so it might not work. I'm guessing it's not. Hey, there it is. All right. So if you look at the wording, yeah, we don't, we don't really know why it does what it does. Oh, there it went. It went away. It might be under the actual um, sermon thing. Is it in my, the sermon notes? There it is. Okay. So if you look at the wording, um, we call them like soundboard demons and stuff like that because stuff always goes haywire like right before church it doesn't like do it when we have plenty of time to get it fixed it just doesn't at the most inopportune times but um, so if you look at the wording of this there's some reason for it right so we exist to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel and in week one we talked about the reason it's worded through the gospel so we do all things because of the work of Christ so Understanding the grace that has been given to us or displayed to us through the work of Jesus, we then are free to live under the light of the gospel, right? So we live through the gospel. We believe the gospel, but then we live through the gospel. The gospel shines through us that everything we do in life is because of the good news of Christ. We're here because of the work of Jesus. We exist because of Jesus, and we will continue to work because of Jesus, right? We looked at Ephesians 2. Uh, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, so that no, can, no one can boast. And then it goes into, and we are his workmanship, created by him to do for good works, which he has prepared beforehand. Um, and so understanding that we've been uh, created and saved, called by God to do God's work. And then last week we looked at community and how we are to be gathered together as a community. We looked at Acts 2, the first church. Uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, stands up to preach, and, and as he preaches, the Holy Spirit begins to work, and over 3,000 people get saved, they're baptized, and they begin to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and they're gathering together, they're, they're becoming one, they're moving as one unit, so they're living in community. And this week, we move to see that we are to live on mission. Now, I want to give just a little brief context of where we're going to be in Matthew 28, um, the Great Commission passage. You've probably heard it. You're probably familiar with it. A little bit of context. Jesus has wrapped up his three-year ministry. 
He has been betrayed. He has been crucified. He has been resurrected. Um, the Jews tried to cover it up, and, and he appeared, and, and he kind of busted that all up. And now here he is meeting in Galilee with the 11 disciples. You might say, well, why 11? Judas betrayed Jesus in guilt. He went and done what he was going to do. Um, and they have not appointed Matthias as a replacement yet. So it's Jesus with the 11 disciples, and he is with them to give them the final charge. And the main idea for the text we're going to be in today that we need to see today is this, that Christ sends his church on mission under God's authority and with God's help to make disciples who make disciples. Let's pray together. Our Father, again, we come opening your word, trusting that your Holy Spirit will speak through your word to us. And God, we also understand that even though we come from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different daily um, occasions, daily struggles, daily triumphs, we all have different things going on in our life. We know that your word is sufficient. And that regardless of who we are, regardless of where we are or what we are going through, God, your word is sufficient to reach each and every one of us at this particular moment. And so even though we're going to be talking about mission today, God, may you reveal yourself to us in the way that you see fit. So that our lives would be changed by the good news of Jesus. So that we can't continue to live our normal way, so that we can't continue to walk our normal walk, that we would come laying ourselves at your feet to do your work for your glory. And in so doing, we find our joy. So we trust the sufficiency of your word this morning, and we ask that you would bless the reading of it, that you would continue to encourage and challenge us to be the people you have called us to be, to continue to work in us so that we would constantly be willing to sacrifice ourselves daily to the good news of Christ so that others may hear, so that your name be exalted. We ask that you would be with us today through the rest of our time together, that we would worship in the word. And that you would continue to be with us as a church. That we would live as one body, one unit, through the gospel, in community, and on mission for the glory of your name. In Christ's most powerful and majestic name we pray. Amen. We begin in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And here we begin to see that Jesus proclaims his authority. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Most of you know this. We just wrapped up a um, on and off two and a half year series of walking through the gospel of John, where Jesus clearly proclaims and clarifies that he is not just another man, he's not just another teacher, that he is God in the flesh, and that he has come for a specific purpose, to redeem his people. 
And in wrapping that up, we have clearly seen that that Jesus is God. And that God has given His authority as Creator, as Sovereign Ruler of all things, that He has given that authority then to Jesus, the Son. If you will, hold your finger in Matthew 28 and flip over to John 5 where we catch a glimpse of the authority of Jesus. John 5, starting in verse 18. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was breaking the rules, they are man-made rules, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. And the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So we get just a snapshot of the authority of Jesus. That God the Father, the creator and the sustainer of all things, who put all worlds into motion, who created the planet we live on, the galaxy that our planet resides in, the universe that our galaxy is a part of, has given all of that authority to His Son so that His perfect plan of redemption might come to pass. And the Son, with that authority, now stands before the eleven in really his, some of His last statements and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The authority over life, the authority over death, the authority as ultimate judge. And we might say, but why, how is it that Jesus has authority over life, death, and his ultimate judge? He has authority over life, death, and his ultimate judge because he is the one who has procured that in his own death and resurrection. It is Jesus who stood and faced death and defeated death. And in his death, he has defeated sin and death. So Jesus' absolute authority rests in his defeat of sin and death. No other can make that claim. No other has done what Jesus has done. No other has the authority of heaven and earth like Jesus. And so now he's saying that all authority in heaven and on earth has then been given to me. Jesus, God in the flesh, true God of true God, has affirmed His supreme authority over all things, over all life, over all death, has now given His final proclamation to His disciples. And we see that in verse 19, where Jesus then prepares to send His disciples. What's His command? 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the authoritative God has given His authority to the Son. And the Son in all authority proclaims to His closest followers, the ones who has spent His last three years preparing, stands before them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So then, go. Go. His final charge is to go. To go and make disciples. And we need to know that Jesus' command to go and make disciples is that. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. But we also need to understand that before we can make disciples, we need to understand what a disciple is. If you have been around church or grew up in church, you've probably heard that we need to be focused on discipleships. We need to be disciples. We need to make disciples. But we may have never heard, like, what is a disciple and what is making a disciple? Like, what does it look like to make a disciple? How do we do this? We start with understanding what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower. During the time that Scripture was written, during the time of Jesus, the typical tradition was that a disciple would follow a rabbi. So a rabbi would um, usually select someone to be his disciple, who he would train and he would prepare to take reigns as a rabbi later in life. And what they would do is they would give up everything to follow. So if the rabbi went from town to town, they would follow that rabbi from town to town. They would spend every waking moment of their life with this individual, learning the scripture, learning ministry, learning how to teach, doing all of these things. And Jesus has then called his followers disciples. So a disciple is one that follows. He's one that gives up all in order to follow Another. And we see this often with the disciples, right? They've given up a lot, right, to follow Jesus. Peter gave up his career to follow Jesus. Matthew gave up his career to follow Jesus. They probably gave up friendships and sacrificed a lot in order to follow Jesus. That's what a disciple does is they follow. And the truth is, is that if you are a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus, you are a disciple. Whether you claim that title or not, you are a disciple. Now, whether you're a faithful disciple or not, hopefully by the end of today, you'll be able to discern that answer. But all Christians are disciples and as disciples, Christians are commanded to make other disciples. Remember, God doesn't save us for us. He doesn't save us so that we can just get our fire insurance and go on about life as we so choose. Remember, we have been saved by grace through faith, and we have been prepared as workers by God to do His work. We are disciples who should be making disciples. Reproducing disciples, replicating disciples. And so here's where that hard question comes in, right? Because if I am a Christian, if I say I'm a Christian, and I know then by default that I'm a disciple, then I should be making disciples. The reality is, is we are making disciples. The question is, is what kind of disciples are we making? Are we making disciples of Christ or are we making 
disciples of something else? Where are we investing our lives? How are we teaching? How are we proclaiming the good news? Are we teaching people what it means to follow Jesus? Or are we showing people that we call Jesus by name, but teaching them how to walk a different way? Right? I love this quote from Kevin DeYoung. He says, The one indispensable requirement for producing godly, mature Christians is godly, mature Christians. So if we want to make godly, mature disciples, if we want people to understand what it means to truly follow Jesus in a way that would honor Jesus, is we have to learn what it means to honor Jesus ourselves. If we want to produce God-fearing people, we have to be God-fearing people. So disciples must grow in their faith. We must understand the Word. We must learn the Word, dedicate our lives to studying the Word, so then that we can reproduce others who will want that and will go after that as well. Why? To be disciples who make disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go. I've shared with this this with you before that when he says go, it doesn't simply mean those who are on staff at a church. This is for every believer. And in the original Greek, it actually means go and in your going. So it's not, hey, let's put together a program where we go. Let's not put together a trip where we go. This is all of life. Uh, when you go to the grocery store, you're going to make disciples. When you go to work, you're going to make disciples. When you go to do your hobbies, you're going to make disciples. Whatever it is you're doing and wherever it is you're going, you're going under the authority of God to do the work of God, which is making disciples. And we need to remember this, that as Robbie Gallaty says, that the gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. If you're here today and you're a Christian, it's because someone shared the good news of Jesus with you. It just doesn't happen. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And how are we to hear unless someone teaches? The gospel comes to us because it's going to someone else. That's the good news of discipleship. That God uses us so that others may hear. So a disciple is one who follows. A disciple is one who studies and and who gives his life to pursue Jesus. And if we understand that a disciple is one who pursues Jesus with everything we have, then we ask, well, then how do we make disciples? How do we do that, right? I know that I'm supposed to follow. I know that I'm supposed to study. I know that I'm supposed to be godly and mature and given over to the work of Christ. But how do I make others do that? Again, he says, go. He says, go to all nations. Okay, well, what about the one who is not called to go all over the world making disciples? Go next door. Go to the grocery store. Go to the gas pumps. Wherever you're going, you're going to make disciples. You're you're telling the good news. You're preaching the gospel. You're telling others what Jesus has done for you. You're calling sinners to repentance. And notice the way this flows. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You start by telling the good news. 
And as they respond to, good new, to the good news, you call a sinner to repentance. You, you help someone see that they are truly a sinner and that they need desperately to be forgiven of that sin and that Jesus is the only one that can forgive of that sin. And as they trust in Jesus, we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So once repentance occurs, we baptize as a declaration of our faith in the Lord Jesus and as a symbol that we have been raised to new life in Christ. Does it stop there? Nope. I've heard stories growing up that early on, well, I say early on, that in the mid-1900s, around 1950, um, in the 50s, that uh, Southern Baptists put this really big emphasis on um, baptism, right? Getting people baptized and evangelism. They had this slogan, a million more in 54. Their, their goal was to baptize a million people in 1954. That's great, but that can't be the end game, right? Because if our goal is only to see people make a confession of faith in Jesus, but we never tell them what it means to take the next steps in following Jesus, then we really haven't done anyone any service, Right? And so it can't just stop there. We go further, and that's exactly what we see. It says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we share the good news of the gospel. People repent, and they believe the good news. We baptize them, and then we teach them. So we don't stop with baptism. That's just another step in the process of helping to make a disciple. We teach them what it means to follow Christ. We teach what it means to, to read the Word, to study the Word, to know the Word. We teach what it means to apply the Word to our lives, right? We don't just get saved so they continue to live any other way. We get saved because God has saved us for a purpose. And we can't understand that purpose, and we can't fulfill that purpose unless we understand God and who, who He is and, is and the Word He has given to us. So we teach to observe all that He has commanded us. What does it look like to live as a disciple, as a Christian in everyday life? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because at the end of the day, it's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. You know, we live our lives in such a way that it's about us, right? But that's not what life is meant to be. Life is about Jesus, We've spent ample time looking at how often we get called up in our little sphere and we think that we're like the master of our own universe, but it's only because of God's grace that we're even alive. Like We're here because God put us here. Like We're not here by accident. We're here because God has ordained for us to be here. And if He has done so, He's done so with a purpose. And for the people of God, what is that purpose? To bring others into the family of God so that they can help then bring others into the family of God. And that cycle continues and it continues and it continues until Christ returns. So we are to be disciples. So we first have to trust in Jesus. And once we trust in Jesus, we help others learn to trust in Jesus by telling the good news. We baptize those who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then we teach what it means to follow Jesus. 
And that doesn't have to be some big fancy program or class. That's just everyday life. Constantly being with people saying, listen, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You know, one of the things that my, I would say that my youth pastor is the one who discipled me in life. I didn't realize I was being discipled until much of that was over. He still does, but just everyday life. I didn't go through a class to be discipled, hanging out at his house, you know, showing up thinking we were going to go fishing or something only to go do yard work or church work, dealing with people, visiting people, doing stuff just off the cuff, just hanging out eating supper and watching movies at his house, I was being discipled. That's what discipleship looks like. It's everyday life. I think far too often we just overcomplicate it. I have in my life, thinking it's got to be like a program. I mean, you know, get whatever the next greatest curriculum is, the next greatest book, we're going to do this, and this is how it's going to be. But everyday discipleship is just living life as the person that God's called me to live with people that have that same calling so that others can come to know Jesus and so that they can learn what it means to follow Jesus. And as I'm getting older and as I realize like we've been in this thing almost nine years at New City, I realize that there are far too many times in that time frame where God has put the perfect opportunities for discipleship in my lap and I've just failed. And I'm sure we could probably all say that that God has given us the opportunities and we just hadn't done it. We just haven't been faithful in it. And so my hope and my prayer is that as we go through this refocusing, that God would not just refocus a statement, that He would refocus all of our lives to be faithful to the mission He has set us apart to do. To make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You know, and there are a lot of people who will say that discipleship isn't all that important, that evangelism is key, that we got to tell people the good news. I'm here to tell you that those two are not divorced. They are together. I've heard too many stories on the bad side where people focus only on evangelism and they never disciple people. And all of those decisions for Christ, all of those people won to Jesus all of those souls that hell lose down the road, they're right back into the same place because they're not being discipled. However, if we start by discipling people, you know what naturally, typically will occur in, in biblical discipleship? We start sharing our stories. And as disciples, we invite others into the family of God and we teach them what it means for us to follow Jesus. And then they start reproducing the same thing. And so what I'm trying to say is like evangelism is vitally important. So is discipleship. Those two are really one unit. They should be happening together. That as we learn to follow Jesus and as we learn to tell other people what it means to follow Jesus. There are going to be people that we begin to invest in. That are going to come to realize they were never truly Christians. As they begin to dig into the word of God. And they begin to be accountable to one another. And they start just spending time together. And they realize that, you know what? 
my life isn't where it needs to be. And when God saves them from that, they're going to in turn start telling other people that they know are in the same boat what God has done in their life. And you know what's going to happen? More disciples are going to be made. And more disciples are going to be made. And more disciples are going to be made. And I hope we never overcomplicate it again. I, I have made that mistake much in my personal life. It's pretty simple, right? If you've been saved, you tell others how you got saved and why they need to be saved. And then when they trust in Jesus, we get them baptized. And then we show them what it means to walk with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you the easiest way to do that. Okay? This is going to shock you. Open the word together. Read it. Start memorizing it. Memorizing it. Start praying together. And just watch what happens. The Lord will work. You know how I know that? Because we know that his word is sufficient. We know that the word will not return void. We know that there is no program more powerful than the word of God. So I encourage you to get with some people. Probably a small group. Really small. Three to five folks. Start studying the word together and see what happens. And be religious with them. You're not going to hear me say that much. Like, Be dedicated to that. Because we are in it, arm in arm, to glorify Christ by being faithful servants of Jesus. And if we ever lose sight of discipleship, we've lost sight of Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've heard me refer to Dietrich Bonhoeffer before. He was a pastor in the 1940s in Nazi Germany. Well, earlier than that, but specifically in the 40s. So at the height of Nazism. He wrote some pretty foundational books for Christians. One of those books is called The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer was eventually killed for being a Christian pastor. But this is one of the things he says in his book, Cost of Discipleship. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And you might say, well, how does he even get to that thought? Because the thought is this, that if Christ has truly changed us, then we want to see Christ change others. And we do that through the process of discipleship. Making disciples. And the good news is that we haven't been left alone to do so. Thirdly, we see that Jesus assures his presence. Look at the latter part of verse 20. He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's what we know. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus was raised. Jesus appeared to his disciples, to other people. He was then ascended to heaven. But before he left, what did he say in Acts 1.8? And you will see power and the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem to the very ends of the age. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the age. I got those a little mixed up. That we will be his disciples and we will proclaim the gospel. 
and we will do so with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, the reality is, is this. The work that Jesus has called us to, it's an impossible task on our own. It's impossible. Which is why He has given us the Holy Spirit to help us through it. Every believer, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who is saved by Jesus, is given the Holy Spirit to live within us, to help lead us, and to help guide us. You know, being a disciple of Jesus is hard. We can read account after account after account of people who have devoted their lives to Jesus, who have lived extremely difficult lives, who have been tortured, persecuted, murdered, for just simply the name of Jesus. You're going to face storms. I think one of the biggest lies of Satan is that he has made his way into the church and he's told people that if you follow Jesus, it's going to be easy. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. And in case we missed it, taking up a cross is not an easy thing to do. It's difficult. It's challenging. But with the Holy Spirit's help and with the joy of Christ, it's doable. Hold your finger again, Matthew 28. Flip over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We'll start reading in verse 17. This is Paul talking to the elders of the Ephesian church. Starting in verse 17 of Acts 20. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Now I want you to pay attention as we read this, right? What it looks like to be a disciple and and, and how he put on display what following Christ looks like. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He didn't know what was going to happen. He assumed affliction and imprisonment. Now, how many of us would sign up for a trip if we knew that when we got there, we were either going to be Put in prison, or somebody would try to stone us, kill us, you fill in the blank. Probably not many of us are signing up for that trip. But notice what he says in verse 24. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. 
If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul didn't know what awaited him in going. But he still went. Because he trusted in Christ. Did he have doubts and fears? More than likely he did. He would probably have to be insane to not have some fear. That's the flesh within us. But his trust and his hope and his faith in God trumped those things. Ultimately, his hope was in the Lord. And so I want to remind us that God has not saved us and called us to a life of ease. But it is one. It is a life of supreme joy when we trust Him above all things. That the attacks of Satan, that that the problems of life cannot steal the joy that comes from Christ. And so I encourage you to trust Him over all things. Trust in Jesus more than you trust in your job. Trust in Jesus more than you hold dear your family. Have hope in Jesus, not in sports, because those things will let you down. Coming from a true Georgia sports fan, all across the board. Thankfully, we have the United now. The things of this earth will fail us. It'll fail us. The only thing that will not is Jesus. And you know what's sad? We all know that. And we'll amen it. And we'll approve of it. And maybe we'll hold off till tomorrow morning. But we'll be right back to trusting in all the other things more. So how do we prevent that? Discipleship. How does that work? Because I have brothers and sisters who are daily walking with me. We know what's going on in life. We encourage each other. We keep each other accountable. When things begin to fall apart, they point me to the Word. When things are falling apart for them, I should be pointing them to the Word. And reminding the promise that we see right here at the end of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And he makes a promise in Philippians 1. He says, and I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but growing up, one of the things that I just did not care for was grammar. 
I didn't like English. Didn't like reading and writing. Go figure, God's sense of humor, right? That the things I do the most are read and write. But I want you to, to see something in Philippians 1.6. And here. I want you to pay it, well, all of Scripture. I want you to pay attention to how many times we see definitive statements in the Word. And what do we mean by that? We mean statements that are, hey, this is how it is. Like no asterisks, no if, ands, or buts. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing in Philippians 1, says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? We can't lose. We can't. We might make mistakes, but God will accomplish His mission. And understanding two weeks ago the gospel of Jesus and the freedom that comes with the gospel of Jesus is that we have been set free to live by His grace for His glory. So when I completely goof it up, God's still faithful. You know, it is good news for us people that when God looks at us, if we're Christians, if we have confessed faith in Jesus, when He looks at us, He doesn't see those sins. He doesn't see the screw-ups and the failures. You know what He sees? When He sees those who have trusted in His Son, Jesus, He sees Jesus. We have been covered by the righteousness of Jesus. That should set us free to live for the glory of God. No longer bound by sin and shame, but set free to walk in the light of life. The mission of every Christian is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Have you ever been in that place in life or know somebody who was in a place in life where they're just like, man, I'm just trying to figure out what God wants me to do? All the while, like not doing anything, like just moseying on about life, still trying to figure out what God's calling me to do. I'm going to give you a short answer. Make disciples. Like, don't wait for some big event, right? Just do it. Just be faithful in the everyday. Be faithful in what He has given you right now at this moment. He'll honor it. You'll find joy. You're definitely not going to find joy like waiting on something. What's the old saying? Waiting is the hardest part. Like not, not in our walk with Christ. Just do it. Just work for the glory of the Lord. Because all of life is meant to be lived for God's purposes, not our own. And pray that we would have that mind of Paul that we just read in Acts 20. Where we can say, but I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. 
How many of us could say that? That's hard. I'm not sure I could. It'll be a struggle. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So we exist to glorify God by making disciples. How? Through the gospel, in community, and on mission. That's what God's called us to. And because of the work of Jesus, we have no excuses. And I'm not saying that fussing, I can tell you. I'm saying that to me. I make a lot of excuses. Yesterday, I'll give you a prime example. Consider this confession time. We were going to Sophie's little end of ball season party. And my prayer was, God, give me the opportunity to talk about you, to share you, to invite people. And we sat there in 100-degree weather, in the sun, for three hours. I sat there with two guys that I know don't know the Lord. You know how many times I mentioned Jesus? None. That's why I say I can't say for sure that I could answer the way Paul answers in verse 24 there in Acts 28. Why I didn't? I don't know. Maybe I didn't want to have to spend the rest of two and a half hours being like more uncomfortable. Like because it was already uncomfortable sitting in the hot sun watching other people in the pool. Like, I couldn't be in the pool. So I had to watch other people being in the pool while I sat there in torture. But not once did I mention the name of Jesus. You know, there are days when I think I've got it going on pretty good. Like, spiritually, I'm the best place I've been in a long time. And I'll, I can tell people that. And yet there are brothers and sisters all across this world who are dying because they're proclaiming the name of Jesus. And I just didn't want to be uncomfortable for a couple hours, so I just didn't say much. May God change us, me, so that we're not in that scenario too often. Okay? Let's pray. Our Father... May you forgive us of the times we have failed you. Thank you. Thank you for covering us with the blood of Jesus. Thank you for not looking at me as what I am a failure a sinner, fearful, 
thank you for seeing the righteousness of your son Jesus instead of me and my unrighteousness. And God, I pray. I pray that for every one of us here today. That we would be led to rejoicing and knowing that if we have trusted in Jesus for salvation, if we've called on the name of the Lord, that you don't see us anymore. Not how we are, but how we've been made to be under the blood of Jesus. God, and I know that there are probably some here that are still in that maybe searching, seeking phase that haven't truly confessed Jesus as the Lord, still kind of testing the waters. God, I pray that you call them to repentance, that they see that they're lost and dead in their sin, and that without Jesus, there is no hope. Let them call out for hope today. And God, I pray for all of us together as your church. That we wouldn't just adopt a mission statement to say we have a mission statement. But that it would be lived through our lives for the glory of your name. Praise Praise you for Christ and his sacrifice for sin. May our lives be forever changed.